I have been around the rooms and watched this lady that's going to give her testimony and see how she's matured in her faith, see how she's gone through different Bible studies around here, gone through the hard work and the hurt and pain of her own life to find some victory. And she's also one of the best employees we have here at the church. Uh, She's my administrative assistant. Will you guys please welcome Lori as she comes up to share her testimony with us tonight. Hi, my name is Lori, and I am a grateful believer in recovery for codependency. Hi. My story is one of God's grace, mercy, redemption, and restoration. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. Jonah 2.2. Fear, insecurity, and the need to control my surroundings have been ingrained in me since childhood. I was born in Erie, Pennsylvania, and am the only child. My mother is gay, and my dad left when I was a baby. I have never had any type of father figure in my life, except my grandfather, who passed away from cancer when I was 11. My grandparents had legal guardianship over me, and raised me on and off most of my childhood and preteen years. The earliest memory of my mother starts at about the age of seven, when she came back for me and moved us to Florida, then eventually to California. This would start a pattern for me of many back and forth trips between states. The times of living with my grandparents were my best childhood memories. They loved me and cared for me. I had stability with them. I was nurtured, protected, and loved. But it would always come to an end when my mother wanted to try to be a mother and send a ticket for me. My grandmother would have no choice but to put me on a plane. I often flew by myself across states, which caused a lot of stress and anxiety on my grandparents and my uncles, who were like my big brothers. I remember my grandmother crying every time I left again. Instability and fear of abandonment continued to weave itself into my very being and shape my personality. The times of living with my mother were chaotic, confusing, and unpredictable. She would have bouts of sobriety, and those times were hopeful. I even remember going to AA meetings with her, coloring in my coloring book, Even as a child, I had the serenity prayer memorized from listening in the back of the room, never knowing until now how truly meaningful that prayer is. She would often leave me home alone at a very young age while she went to the bars. I was never allowed to tell anyone, so from that point, I learned to cover for her and to stay silent. I would get so scared being home alone that I would hide in the closet and bury myself underneath the coats. One night at about midnight, I became very frightened from the noises in the house the wind was making. I thought I saw shadows on the wall and I ran across the street to a neighbor's house. It was a kind, older couple and they came and stayed with me until my mother got home. Needless to say, 
She was not happy when she came home to find out that I had told someone I was home alone. After her nights of drinking at the bars, <clears throat> I would get a new toy or a doll. As much as I appreciated the gifts, I would have gladly traded them for a stable family. My friends thought I was so lucky to be an only child and get Barbie dolls, but I thought they were so lucky to have a mom and a dad. I never had stepfathers, but I would have other women who were unkind and abused alcohol come in and out of my life. One of these women, in an argument with my mom, pulled out a gun. I was never physically harmed, but the emotional scars are still there. My uncle used to take me shooting out on the range in Pennsylvania, and he taught me how to safely handle a firearm. But ever since this incident, I am fearful of them. This woman robbed me of one of my most childhood, cherished childhood memories, and I was never able to recognize it until it showed up on my fourth step. My mother would often tell me that people take anger out on the ones that they love the most. So I equated anger and abuse with love. This would set the stage for how I chose relationships and begin to form my codependent tendencies. Codependency is a way of coping with our true feelings by avoiding them and managing our external world. That's from the brochure, Codependency with a Chemical Addict. Out of all this chaos, I developed my deepest character defects. I became a perfectionist, and I tried to control everyone and everything around me in an attempt to control my surroundings. I made decisions based on fear, or I couldn't make decision at all. I kept quiet while others walked all over me. I lied about my home life, and I gave the impression that I had the perfect life. These defects spilled over in every relationship I had. On the outside, I would have a painted-on smile, but on the inside, I was a mess, and my life was unmanageable. No one could ever get to know the real me. I didn't even know the real me. The quiet little girl I learned to be started to rebel in the teen years. I became pregnant with my first child at the age of 16. I married a man I did not love at the age of 20. I had a son with him, and we were divorced by the age of 22. At such a young age, I was already divorced with two young sons and carried a heavy weight of shame and guilt. I remarried again to my current husband, Jeff, who I do love dearly. We met at work in the Bay Area I moved here to Modesto and started attending Big Valley Grace in 1999, and this is where I gave my life to Jesus. I had an immense desire to please God, but I wasn't surrendered to Him. I didn't even know what surrender looked like. I felt like I was different from the women in the church. I was ashamed of my past, and it was an obstacle for me to experience the undeserving gift of grace. Denial, pride, self-righteousness, fear, and control became my idols. Like my childhood, 
My marriage was chaotic, confusing, and unpredictable. We are trying to blend my two boys and his son, which added to the complexity of the marriage. I saw red flags from the start, but denial is a very powerful thing. I thought I could fix him, and when he was sober, he was a really great guy. But his addiction, coupled with my denial and enabling, created a very unhealthy dynamic between us. Our daughter was born in December of 1999, and our son was born six years later on our anniversary. There were good times, and there were bouts of sobriety that I would cling to. But it wouldn't be long before I was riding the waves of his addiction and adjusting my behavior based on his. I knew my husband also had a deep desire to please God, and there were times where he spiritually led our family. We had many small groups in our homes, in our home, and we both have been involved in ministry here at Big Valley. Throughout the marriage, we saw various marriage counselors who would always tell me that I needed Al-Anon. I had such a deep resentment towards recovery, and that only fueled my resentment, because I couldn't believe they thought I had anything to do with our problems. I became reluctant to show affection and love, because that vulnerability would leave me hurt and scarred. I became a bitter and resentful wife. I controlled and monitored my husband like he was a child, taking away his dignity and in turn losing my own. Denial can make the most horrific situations appear normal. I clung to denial and believed not only my husband's lies, but also my own. It was much easier to live in denial than to have to face the reality of my life. It was much easier to resent my husband than to love him. This was my normal. It never occurred to me that accepting unacceptable behavior from both myself and my husband was hurting my family. I thought I was the one holding it all together, taking all the burdens on myself and making excuses for my husband's behavior while at the same time tearing him down as a man and enabling his addiction. An enabling environment keeps the alcoholic in his illness. It feeds the resentment. In the book, The Dilemma of the Alcoholic Marriage, it says this. Overcome by his terrible guilt, the alcoholic actually craves punishment because it eases his guilt. And when the wife punishes him with yelling, fighting, threatening, it both eases the guilt and fuels a resentment, which makes it possible for the alcoholic to continue his drinking or using. This chaos went on for 15 years of the marriage until I finally couldn't take anymore. My husband came home from a business trip under the influence and I asked him to leave or I would call the police on him. I ended up filing legal separation and eventually had to refile a restraining order. A few months later, I was sent to Stanford for an overnight visit for testing after battling complicated autoimmune issues and was diagnosed with a rare nervous system condition. 
The stress escalated my health issues and I became very sick. Even then, I would not admit I needed help. I still was in control and handled everything on my own. You would think that would be my bottom, the place where I would finally surrender and release control. But I'm sad to say it took a few more months to break through my stubbornness. All the coping mechanisms I learned in my childhood, I used in dealing with the chaos of my marriage. Turns out, defects didn't go away with the absence of my husband. Go figure. As they say, where I go, there I am. Those defects served me well, and I wasn't about to let go of them. Admitting I was powerless was not in my vocabulary. But in September of that year, I found myself on my knees, crying out to God, admitting that I can't do this on my own. Admitting I was completely powerless and that all I wanted was his will for my life, no matter what that looked like. I had finally surrendered. On September 15th of 2014, I walked into my first Al-Anon meeting. And not because anyone told me I had to, but because I had hit my own bottom. I grabbed onto the program like it was my lifeline. I got a sponsor and I worked the steps. I sat in meetings and heard words like compassion, self-esteem, self-respect. All were foreign language to me. But I wanted what those women had, so I kept coming back. We have an amazing and loving God who will not keep us stuck. All I had to do was surrender to his most perfect will. I couldn't see or understand why I was in the situation I was in, but I knew that I could trust him because he is faithful, he is sovereign, and he is always good. Although I have walked with the Lord for many years, working my steps with the guidance of a loving sponsor and a loving God opened up a new and unmasked relationship with him. I can humbly come before his throne, unveiled, unashamed, and completely surrendered. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help as in our time of need, Hebrews 4.16. I knew indeed my life became unmanageable and that God, only God could restore me to sanity. I had no choice but to surrender my will, pride, and denial to the care of God. Brokenhearted and nothing left, I was his, clay in the hands of the most loving potter. Working the steps was uncharted territory for me. I stopped admitting I was wrong long ago because every time I did, it would get thrown back into my face in an alcoholic rage. Admitting to another human being the exact nature of my wrongs didn't feel safe to me. It has been women in my life that have hurt me the most and I had to learn to trust and open up and be vulnerable and that didn't come easy to me. These steps were asking me to take that mask off and show the real me. 
I was used to wearing that mask of perfection and not letting anyone in. But with the fourth step, I took the risk to trust and in my fifth step, read my inventory to my sponsor. If you are struggling with that fourth and fifth step, I encourage you to take the risk. It might just change your life. I also saw assets come out that were so buried and never had the chance to shine. I learned through these steps to love myself, admit I wrong, and I gained my identity back. I lost Lori long ago, and now I can look in the mirror and love who I see, broken pieces and all. God's will is always for me to become more like his son, even if that hurts. Isaiah 43:18 through 19 says this, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God had a plan for me. He was doing a new thing in my life. He was making a new way. He was molding me. I started to pray for my husband so that I could begin the healing process of forgiveness. This was not easy for me because I had so much pain and unforgiveness in my heart. But I knew in order to be whole and to break the chains of resentment that imprisoned me, I had to forgive and walk in obedience to what God was calling me to. I had to face my grief and feel my feelings instead of suppressing them down, which is my default. I had to put God first in my life and surrender my idols to him, including my husband, who was in place of God for a very long time. I had to make a choice to either surrender or keep the tight grip of control I thought that I had on my life. God was preparing my heart for the plans he had for me. My heart started, started to soften, forgiveness started to come, and God began his work. From the serenity prayer, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. It was that simple. This is a simple program. All these years, I couldn't or would not surrender. I would not let go. I would not trust. He was creating something new through the process of recovery. My husband and I started to date again. We attended reconciliation counseling, and he moved back home in February of 2015. And we started to, to attend Celebrate Recovery as a family. Addiction and codependency affects the whole family. And I'm so grateful that CR is a full family ministry. I have the privilege of watching our son on drums and my husband on guitar leading us in worship. That is only because the miracle of recovery in our lives. I am here today, although a work in progress, a confident, recovering woman of God with my head held high. I see my life changing. I have joy now instead of despair, and my self-esteem is starting to resurface. My first ninth step amends was to my husband, who I once thought I didn't owe anything to. 
I thought he owed me because he was the cause of my harm. But I did owe him an amends. I harmed him. I was an active partner in this dance. We talk a lot about boundaries in recovery. Boundaries for me is not a set of rules that I put on another person to conform. They are for me to keep my side of the street clean and keep my serenity. I put boundaries on myself to not allow my thoughts to go back to the past and not allow unforgiveness to gain a foothold into my heart. What has been amended by the ninth step has no place in my heart. I do not want to become who I was again, nor do I want to take on the actions and responsibilities of anyone else but myself. Let me weigh my misdeeds on an honest scale and make restitution as well as I can, but let not the scale become unbalanced by the weight of what others have done. That's a quote from One Day at a Time in Al-Anon. The ministry that I once resented because of my own pride and self-righteousness is now where I have found safety, refuge, and healing. My 12-step work through God's grace and strength involves sponsoring women, facilitating open share group, sharing my testimony, and facilitating with my husband in the first-time guest group, where we get to share our joint testimony and what recovery has done for us both individually and in our marriage. And I will end with a message for the newcomer. If you are struggling with a loved one's addiction, I know what it means to lose yourself in that person's addiction and to be consumed with their life. I've lived in that despair and there is help. You don't have to live like that any longer. Take the first step and love yourself enough to work this life-changing program. There is hope. It comes first from our Lord and Savior, Jesus. It's okay to be vulnerable in these rooms. It's safe. My fears and insecurities have robbed me of the joy that comes from recovery. Please don't let them rob you any longer. Thank you for letting me share.